Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the podcast where each week we talk about the world's game, but from an American perspective. Joined as I am every week by media executive Grail Hallett and OTB producer Sam Griswold. Today, we are joined by longtime soccer writer for the Boston Globe, it's Boston Globe, good, good, good globe, uh, Frank Delapa. Um, this guy uh, was country before country was cool. I remember living in Boston uh, back in the 80s, coaching at Boston University by day, trying to be a stand-up comic at night. And Frank was one of the few, uh, the proud, who were uh, covering this game we love. He was also with the revolution since day one, since the very beginning. So it'll be great to get caught up with Frank. We're going to get him in here uh, pretty quickly. Um, the Rebs had a great run this year, uh, winning the Supporters' Shield. But as we all know, the playoffs are a whole uh, another ball of uh, ball of wax there. And they couldn't get through the playoffs, falling in penalty kicks to NYCFC. So, guys, uh, it's, I'm back east once again. I'm on Nantucket getting ready for the Christmas stroll where rich people fly in from all over the world and um, and buy shit in town here in their fur, <laughs> in their fur coats. So uh, we're doing a comedy special. I have the great Don Gavin. It's his first comedy special ever. And also Tom Cotter, winner of America's Got Talent. So, uh, so it's a lot of fun. Uh, so if you guys have a chance, come on out here. I know it's the other island for you, Sam, but, uh, but Nantucket will welcome you. All right, guys. So uh, let's bring on uh, Frank. As I said, longtime writer for the Boston Globe, as I always love to read his stuff um, and his take on the game. He's covered seven World Cups, and we are glad to welcome back to Over the Ball, Frank DeLapa. Frank, how are you? Yeah, great to be with you guys. I hate to say longtime writer because it makes you sound old, but I, I guess maybe we're both moving up there. I'm not sure, but I've been reading you for a long time and and, uh, and love your stuff. So um, you've been with the Revs since day one, right? Covering them, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, right. Really uh, before day one, but yeah, I mean, I was at the first training session, so I've kind of seen it all. Um, saw, uh, you know, Bruce Arena came here that first year. Uh, we saw him develop, uh, got to the final. That first MLS Cup was right here in a massive rainstorm like a nor'easter and you know he's he took off from there yeah the weather kind of scared him he started to go with, with the dc and then uh, and then la so um a great year for the revs a lot of people thought it was their year they had a great run winning the supporter shield um but they fall to nycfc um what went wrong what do you think uh yeah i think um they probably maybe just weren't weren't strong enough i think bruce it was an overachieving team and bruce talked about that a little bit in the press press conference. And uh, I think that's down to coaching. Uh, I think they were good enough to win it. They were good enough to go all the way. This was their chance home field all the way through the playoffs, which I never thought would happen because it's so tough to get off to a good start and win the supporters shield here. Bruce accomplished all that. Uh, It was, I guess it was an overachievement. And also the uh, one uh, 23 day layoff in between games that really hurt this team. They lost a little momentum. They qualified for the playoffs in September so, uh, you know, it's hard to keep up the momentum, especially the way playoffs are in sports. As you guys know, it's a lot about catching fire at that time of year. And, and it's hard to keep that 34 games. And then basically two months after you've clinched, you know, made, you know hit your goal to like get it going again against a good team, which New York City was was a really good team, too. So it's a good matchup. They played four times this year, 7-7 seven, seven on goals. There wasn't much to choose from gets down to penalty kicks and it's over for the revolution. Yeah. So, you know, you're talking about two month layoff. I mean, even, 
you know, if you're hurt or uh, you're benched or whatever, just a couple of games off is a long, long time to get back in the swing of things, to get, you know, back to your, uh, your, your A game. So, and then you talked about the home field advantage. So I guess we'll, we'll jump a little bit to that. Um, you know, it's, it's just the revolution we've always talked about, their stadium. And are they on a, are they on a better track now? Is there something going to happen? Um, there was some success there. It seemed like there was a lot of effort to bring a stadium, you know, in Cambridge or, um, you know, by the uh, Kennedy School, UMass Kennedy School. Uh, but yeah. I haven't heard much talk of it lately. What's the latest? Well, you know, you know, Boston, Kevin, and there's not that much room there. And no. there's less room there now than there ever was. So um, there's a there is a bit of a building uh, boom going on, but that's that's com- uh, commercial, that's residential stuff. Nobody's looking to build a you know they want nobody's saying we want a stadium uh, in some of those places. Uh, there's some big money going into uh, development. Uh, saying that the crafts have always been optimistic. I've always uh, thought that there's like very little chance, but they've convinced me that there's a really good good chance. So I think it's somewhere in between. Um, but yeah, it's a long shot still. It's like New York, tough one. Miami, another really tough one to build there. Right, right. A grail. Hank, welcome to the show. Great having you. Um, I, I was a big fan uh, when MLS moved to the single elimination um, playoff system back in 19, although the revs probably aren't feeling great about that system right about now. I'm just curious, what, what do you? what's your overall take on the pluses and minuses of uh, the revised format that they put in place? I kind of like the single limb. That's okay. I just don't think playoffs kind of belong in soccer. I think that's kind of being proven, you know, because, uh, you know, there's Champions League, there's going to be Open Cup, there's all sorts of stuff around the world, you know, and I think there's a reason for that. They don't really need playoffs because it's like a whole different tournament. Um, We were talking about Gus Martins, who used to, uh, you know, play with Kevin back in the day, covered soccer from day one. He said, all right, Playoffs, they should just have, let everybody in if they're going to do that and have single limb. It'll be a good tournament. Uh, I thought about that. I said, maybe he's right. I, but I think so, single limb's okay. Playoffs overall, probably not necessary. Is this the type of situation where we're taking the world's game and we're basically trying to, trying to shoehorn an American format into it because that's what everybody's comfortable with? Yeah, partially that. And also, listen, the weather conditions here, you know, as you guys know, New England, Northeast, the, the longer this thing goes on and into playoffs – the showcase games, it's getting colder and colder here, you yeah. know? So uh, the same thing happens in collegiate game too. The showcase games, the really good games, it's like, it's really, it's getting cold and they're playing these tournament games and I don't know, part of the country it's okay, but in the Northeast, it really hurts. Uh, you, you haven't had a Northeast or a New England champion in NC2A for, you know, 40 years or whatever, whatever it's been, you know, and they, and there's strong soccer here too, but with the conditions. uh, So it works against uh, the Northeast teams, I think, but saying that Philly's got a good chance to win it. New England had a really good chance to win it this year. Yeah. You know, you you talk about that, you know, uh, I think all three of us played in New England and boy, November comes around in New England. You're playing college soccer on a, on, you know, like you're playing hockey because it's solid, solid grass. I live in out in LA now. And I, one of the things I said to the guys last week on the show was uh, I'm driving around these, all these soccer fields, beautiful grass. And I'm like, Oh, it's November, December. And these kids are out there playing. It's a tremendous advantage. You know, it's why I think a lot of, uh, a lot of players are coming out of the West and, and down in Florida There's a longer growing season. So. Yeah. yeah. There's also uh, look at for scouts and everybody else. Look, I went to a uh, mass state amateur cup game. The other day it was freezing cold. There's a day game. It was all right. No scouts there. I mean, there's nobody watching these guys. And the same thing with the high school and the college where I, I like to go out and catch some of those games, but it's really miserable conditions. So 
uh, for players, it's actually not that bad. I think it actually can make you yeah. better. You know, you get used to conditions and it's fun to play out there. These guys are, you know, it's cold. You're, you're, you got something to prove you're running, but uh, overall it's not really that good for the game. It's just not a showcase that mm-hmm. you want to show the world You say, this is MLS. We're playing out here. You've seen finals at Toronto where it's like below whatever, you know, right. Cold in there. And uh, I know uh, they liked uh, Canada liked it in Edmonton for the game against Mexico, but mm-hmm. that's not really what we want to show the world. I don't think. Right. You know, those all over the place. It's really cold. Oh, it's hard for the Mexican team, but, but that's not a, really a showcase for the game. That's not really, I don't think we want to see it. It's, it just makes it tough, I think for MLS, but, but I, I like, do like the home field advantage and, and the one officer, you know, it does create drama. Yeah. I always felt bad. I said, you know, playing in college, I always felt bad for the parents and the fans on the sidelines. Cause we're running around, you're, you're heated up, but you know, the fans are kind of bundled up on the sidelines and feel bad. And then, you know, you touched upon the national team stuff. Uh, that, that is really interesting because for so long, Mexico had Azteca, they're at altitude, the heat, um, they wake you up in the hotel at night, you know, everything like that. It seems like the only way Canada and the United States can combat that is with extreme cold to play in those conditions. And then, you know, half the time you're playing a lot of these games, especially MLS, you're playing on turf, you know, in the cold weather and it's, uh, it's, it's even tougher. So, um, uh, uh, Sam got a question for Frank. Yeah, Frank, I'm curious on the ground in Boston, what the response has been to the kind of resurgence of the revolution and what you've seen in terms of fan support and interest. Yeah, it's been pretty good. 25K at that game. Uh, they would have gotten, uh, if the game on Sunday, uh, they would have gotten, they're, they're expecting 40 plus. And if they got to the final, it would have been really good. Um, it's not, you know, with all the conditions we just described. Still, these games with something at stake, <laughs> They draw crowds and they have uh, the, the first uh, MLS Cup final they had here. Uh, and then in 02, they had 61,000 for the MLS Cup final. These late in the year games, people are, are into it. And, uh, you know, as far as uh, media, not as much into it, but but I think the fans are into it. And there's, a, there's quite a number of them. Uh, that was kind of, uh, that was a good crowd. Uh, Tuesday night, uh, 745, you know, that's a tough kickoff for people to make. School night, yeah. Yeah, and uh, they, they showed up, so. Um, well, I think, you know, uh, you, you talk about a game being meaningful and worth something. You know, this is a talk, we've talked about the U.S. Uh, women's national team sometimes. I think fans do respond to when a game really means something. And I think the, the problem with the women's team has been, um, I'm jumping here, but I have ADD, so hang with me. Um, the, the women kept playing in these sort of globetrotter tournaments, you know, where they would just play for that didn't mean anything other than to just showcase the players. And I always felt like that's going to, that race is going to be run because people really want to see a game that's uh, that's worth something. Um, so I don't know. I think, you know, the whole playoff seems like you said, a, almost a separate one-off. It's almost like a separate, it, it, well, it is a separate tournament. And it just seems like people put more into that than the entire run of the season, which is, which is really too bad. Sam. Um, yeah, Frank, just to, to follow up on that, there was an article in the Globe by a colleague of yours this past week, Tara Sullivan, you know, comparing Belichick uh, with comparing Bruce Arena, I should start with uh, of the revolution with Bill Belichick. And uh, the first thing that stuck out to me was that she said they've never met before, which was kind of odd. But uh, I'm curious, you know, she talks a little bit about his legacy and how he's basically been successful at every level of U.S. soccer. And um, I'm curious what your take is on Arena's legacy and where you kind of rate him in the pantheon of American coaches. 
Yeah, yeah, unique. I mean, number one, we kind of had a panel discussion on that yesterday, and uh, Christine Lilly was on that. So I said, you know, I kind of compare him with Hanson Dorrance, and mm-hmm. you know, right. who, they, they were kind of pioneers at that uh, stage of the game. They were pioneers, and they just dominated. You know, Bruce was able to transition into the pro game and uh, the international game. Uh, I don't think he ever wanted to go overseas. Um, I, I think he would have taken the challenge if it came up like Bob Bradley did, but uh, I think he's just got to be ranked number one. I, and I, uh, the, he did raise some question about whether he's coming back next year. And I think that's a big question. Uh, his legacy is what, it, you know, uh, World Cup uh, quarterfinals in 02 and all these records in MLS. So uh, if he does come back, you know, he doesn't really have that much to prove but he's a competitor too. So yeah. we'll see, but yeah, his legacy is, is solid. He's also 70 years old, which is not very old anymore. I guess it's not that 70 the new yeah. one. I was going to say, be, be careful with that, with this group. No, but yeah, but I'm just saying it's a, uh, you know, he seems uh, he's got nothing to prove. I'm sure he'd love to win a cup in, in, uh, in new England though. Grail. Yeah. So Frank, uh, the semis are set. We got them coming up this weekend. We got Philly against uh, NYCFC in Portland, Real Salt Lake. So certainly I think a lot of interest from the standpoint that a lot of the uh, teams that everybody thought would be in it aren't. I'm just curious what you think of the matchups and who you see as the favorite moving forward. Yeah, I, I think Philly uh, at this, you know, in the playoffs, I've always rooted for the team that has a, a grass field and two a good stadium for to showcase it. Right. So three, three of these teams do have grass fields that are left. So that's a good thing. Um, let's see, uh, if, but if it's at Yankee stadium in the final, which could happen, uh, I don't think that's going to be a really good look, but, uh, yeah. I think New York's playing really well. They're going to be missing the Castellanos in this next game. That's a big, big loss. They're already losing a couple of guys like Keaton parks. So Philly, I think is, is playing really well. I thought they were really good during the season. Uh, but they also were playing in champions, uh, league. And I think that that took away from, from them. These teams are not set up to play two competitions uh, because of salary caps and all that. And, uh, and I think that hurt them. You know, they were still okay, but they brought a lot of young guys who were, who were good, but they, that's why uh, they were weakened. And I, I think they're just focusing in the last month or two, they've been really good and they're focusing on this. So I, I think they're the favorites. I like Portland, Portland a lot. Salt Lake actually, I like a lot too. They're, they're a lot better than people uh, give them credit. Uh, their midfield's really good, so they'll challenge, but that's a long trip to come back out here. So I think uh, Philly's got to be the favorite. All right, guys. So, so let's move on. Uh, you know, we set up the format of the show, and then I talk about how I'm going to ask you guys what you're over, and then I completely dust the question and forget it. Uh, <laughs> did, did I... <laughs> Did you, I, didn't see, uh, you didn't see our frantic window. No, I didn't see anybody waving. So, uh, let, so what? It, I want Frank to jump in on this because I know one of the questions is about the Ballon d'Or, and I'm interested to get Frank's thoughts on it. But what are you over, guys? Sam? Uh, yeah, so we obviously had the Ballon d'Or announcement this week with Messi winning his record seventh. Um, and what I'm over just the fact that it covers a calendar year and not what I'd call a soccer year. I mean, a season. Yeah. I, I don't under, like, imagine if, you know, the NHL MVP was given to the guy with the best, you know, based on the last 40 games of one season and then the first 40 games of the next season plus whatever like he did in the summer. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And, uh, you know, let's let's not pretend anyone not playing in Europe is ever going to win this. So let's just match it up with the European calendar. Should cover an entire season plus the summer tournaments. I don't have a problem with Messi winning. I know a lot of people do. I just, it doesn't make sense to me. The award is set up that way. Now, Frank, Sam complains every week. He's a curmudgeon. <laughs> we always say he's an 80-year-old sharecropper in a 
30-year-old man's body. But I think he's got a point here on this one. It's, uh, it's, it's quite odd, isn't it? I think they kind of jumped the shark with this one. Yeah, I think there's a tradition to it. I think it started with France football in the 50s, and, and so they're just kind of keeping it going. And uh, I just worry about if anybody takes it over and changes it, they'll probably uh, – that would make sense, but they'll also make some other changes that might change it for the worse. So that's the only thing I would object right. to. Otherwise, I would probably have to agree with Sam. And I thought like Lewandowski was the clear runaway winner this year. And, you know, cause I love Messi. My God, how could you not? Uh, but I think even he might be a little sheepish about winning it this year. Well, I thought Jorginho had a good shout to, to yes. win it, but everybody was talking about that. I think if he doesn't miss that penalty kick for Italy in the playoff uh, in, in the uh, qualifiers, maybe he wins it. I don't know if that hurt him or not. Oh, now you sound like Sam. This is, this is <laughs> doing the Italian commiseration. Yeah, Jorginho, uh, I think that probably would have been it. But I don't know if it says something about the German league where maybe the writers don't respect it as much as, as uh, the Premier League or Serie A. I'm, I'm not sure, but it, it seemed like uh, a lot of the, the uh, Bundesliga players are complaining that Lewandowski's a machine and he deserved it this year. And then Mo Salah is number seven on the list. <laughs> Yeah, no, Lewandowski, I, I wouldn't have a problem with him winning it either. I've never had a problem with Messi or Ronaldo winning it either. So especially, right. you know, Messi's still, I mean, he's just he's just basically the same as he's always been. Uh, people say he doesn't track back, but I don't think he ever really did. I don't think he needs to. You don't have, you don't need guys running back and forth out there that much, I don't think. And that's just my opinion. On well, yeah, I, I, I thought it was the English announcers because that's, they're all about hustle and running and don't, and, you know, don't look at the whole overall picture of the game, but they're talking about Mappy and, and, uh, and Neymar and Messi. And they, all they were concentrating on was the fact that they weren't tracking back, but they obviously were to a certain extent. Yeah, they just kept going off on it. So, all right. So that's what you're over, Sam. Grail, what are you over? Well, I think we pretty much covered it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Lewandowski to me has been stiffed twice in a row. He, he was the clear-cut favorite last year, and the committee decided not to present the award for inexplicable reasons. He would have won it hands down. And then, then this year, if you look at – I mean, he broke Gerd Muller's – uh, Bundesliga single season scoring record with yeah. uh, 41 goals, one of the a record that nobody thought would ever be broken, and he missed the entire uh, April with a, with an injury and still broke it. And I'm just I love Messi, but to me it was just it was Lewandowski's year last year, and it was Lewandowski's year this year, and he's over too. So, all right. So there's no, uh, you know, I think this is the first time on over the ball. Both of you guys have been over the same thing. Is that what yeah. it was? Yeah, I think it has. Well, been, we're yeah. not really over the same thing. I'm over the process. Yeah. I don't have a problem with Messi winning. I think the year Messi finally wins a trophy with Argentina for him not to win the award would be kind of ridiculous. So I'm I'm not really against it. Yeah. All right. So Frank, yeah. let's let's shift to international soccer. We're already there, so we're not shifting. But you know, you've covered seven World Cups. Um, what do you think will be the most important uh, thing for success in in Qatar in 2022? I mean. Seems like it's going to be an odd, it's an off, you know, kind of an off season one that they're doing. There's going to be a lot of changes. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a wild card one because yeah. it's always been, um, you, you know, because the timing, it, it, it's just, it's going to throw everybody off. I, I think it's going to, uh, the first time they kind of did this was, I think, South Korea, Japan. That threw everybody off. And that's one reason why, like, Turkey and Senegal and these teams came through there. And I, I remember talking to uh, Michel Platini about that. And he said, yeah, that's, even those two or three weeks difference in the European calendar kind of screwed everybody up there. Uh, it was great. I, I found uh, Michel Platini in a, in a train station in Japan 
Jesus. I was just going to say, Frank, you just dropped a hell of a name. That's like saying I was having lunch with Eric Clapton. And anyway, like, wait a minute, back up. Yeah, so it was great. Right. I mean, at a train station. I love it. Yeah, in the old days, you could you know do that stuff. So, uh, anyways, uh, so I think this one's going to really throw everybody off. I, I can't. I, I really know what to expect. I mean, I wouldn't doubt if, if Italy doesn't even qualify. I mean, really, this this could, or even Portugal might not. It's crazy, you know. Uh, so uh, it's just a wild card one all the way through. Um, you know, it's a small country, this and that. Um, I never thought it should go there, but you know, I'm probably not alone on that. But I think it's going to be the most unpredictable World Cup maybe ever. So that's right. Either Portugal or Italy is not getting through, right? To Qatar is that a is that a fact now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they both can't qualify. Yeah. So I mean, this is one of the things for the for the the realization of American soccer fans, we did not qualify for the last World Cup. And yet here you have these two soccer powers, Italy and Portugal. One of them is not going in the next World Cup. Um, what have you heard about, uh, you know, Cutter? It seems like a lot of the criticism has gone away about some of the deaths in the buildings of the, these stadiums and all this sort of controversial stuff. But the the whole world has changed a little bit with soccer, even um, Saudi Arabia, you know, taking over Newcastle. Um, how will this this international intrigue impact the world cup do you think this next one well they just uh, arrested a, a norwegian film crew for filming uh, immigrant communities in qatar so i don't know uh, what what could be next it's not a welcoming place for journalists as far as i can tell but the the competition is uh, saudi arabia where uh, journalists probably uh, probably get even a less fair shake there so you know to say, to say the least or get chopped up in turkey i think well, you know, uh, and then, you know, you talk about uh, it's not welcome, you know, I, no booze. I think you, you can't drink in Qatar. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you can't uh, you can't have any homosexual experiences. Not that I'm looking at the, I mean, there's a whole bunch of rules that they had. And this is where I can't believe the um, they were awarded the games. But I think a lot has changed since then. But uh, are you going, Frank? Are you going to the games? Well, I'm not going. But a, a friend of mine did cover the Asian games there, one uh, Asian uh, uh, cup there one year. And and uh, they were able to find something drinks, but, but they, it's not, you know, it's not really approved. I think it's changed since then. This a lot of things have changed there. Uh, but look at there's, it's a country of 300,000, I think, uh, Qataris and, and the rest are all immigrant workers. And that's, you know, so it's, it's, it's an odd place and it's not. Yeah. Really, yeah. So we'll see. All right, Sam. Um, yeah, Frank, looking also ahead to the World Cup. I'm curious in terms of CONCACAF and qualifying, uh, you know, the next round of qualifying is January 27th. That's about a month before the MLS season kicks off uh, in 2022. Um, what, what are guys like, you know, Matt Turner, Tejan Buchanan, how, what are these guys going to be doing to kind of stay fit and stay sharp? Will they train on their own or what's their what's their kind of outlook? Yeah, they generally just train on their own. They've got their personal okay. trainers. They've got their old college uh, places they can go to. Uh, Tejan, though, by the way, you know he's moving. He's he's out of here now. He's he's in. He's going to Belgium. Okay. To Club uh, but yeah, I know Turner has a good off-season workout, and mm-hmm. and then uh, national team. Yeah, so it's good for them. They'll 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 get plenty of training. So you've watched Turner. He's been red hot all season. Um, a lot of us were quite surprised that Stefan was uh, was put in and sort of made the number one keeper. I guess the criticism with Matt is. Uh, his ability to play with his feet. Have you noticed that at all? Do you think that's a, a misnomer? What, what, what are your thoughts on it? He's a well, great you know, shot stopper. Yeah, I've seen it both ways. I, I think he's he's okay with his feet. I never thought Stefan was very good with his feet either. Same here. Yeah. 
You know, I look at American goalkeepers, U.S. goalkeepers aren't good with their feet. And, and they probably never will be, uh, not like I've seen in Europe and South America, especially. So uh, I just don't think you can expect that much from them. And uh, you might not need that. You know, I, I think right. the way those played today, of course, you know, you got to have the keeper sweeper and that sort of thing. But uh, I don't think you can depend on that. And I don't think it's always a good idea. If they, I think they're both functional. Uh, Turner's functional with it. He, look at, he's still got a lot of upside. He hasn't played that many games. He's only 27. So in goalkeeper years or whatever you call it. He's That's young. Got, yeah. He's got ways to go. Yeah. That's young. All right. Well, great stuff, man. Guys, you have any more questions for Frank before we let him, uh, let him go here? We're good. All right. So you're going to follow these playoffs and uh, we'd love to check in with you again uh, during the sure. world cup. Um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun. I, what do you think about the whole format where they want to go every two years? Apparently, yeah, Amer- um, Americans like it, but no one else does. That's my over the ball, I guess. That's definitely don't do <laughs> that. I mean, I, I think the calendar is so crowded now. Nobody's taken into account the players, uh, you know, uh, health and and you know, th- there's so many demands on them now. And and then uh, they'll always come up with these uh, plans. They're saying this is going to uh, Nations League. There's going to be less games. Yeah. And, and they add more games. So it's like double speak. I, I, I don't think it works. You can't really believe these guys. There's too many games uh, already. Uh, players are getting, there's too many demands on them. They're, they're, they're not like a FIFA game. You know, they, they can't, they're, they're not, uh, you know, cartoon figures. And I, I think it's, it's hurting the game, really. It's yeah. not necessary. And so the, every two years, definitely against it. We've seen a lot more people speak out against that, I, I think. Yeah, people were complaining about the amount of games before they even said this. Yeah. So, you know, and then the one thing you, you realize, you know, all the games that play the domestic leagues, how tired the players are, I always notice that during the World Cup, it becomes a young man's game again, because it's just sort of, uh, it's played at a higher rate. It's a shorter tournament. People are really uh, peeking out. It's just so fun every four years. It's such a special thing. I, I, I hope they don't screw it up. So, um, all right. Well, Frank, we uh, enjoy uh, having you on over the ball. We, uh, we appreciate it. Would have been nice to see New England kind of go to the finals and check back in with you as they uh, win that MLS Cup. But maybe this will keep Bruce Arena around for another couple of years until he, uh, he can land this one. But uh, we appreciate you for being over the ball. Thanks a lot, yeah, Frank. Next year. Okay. All right. Good to be with you. All right. Always great talking to Frank. Um, you know, get get at that New England perspective. I, I you know, we've always kind of pissed and moaned about a stadium there, but you know, it's a it's a great franchise. It's the Crafts. Hopefully, eventually they'll uh, they'll get their stadium, and we can all be happy. There's just something, guys, about watching a game, and Frank sort of alluded to it, which is watching a game on turf in the winter in New England. It's just like. Eh, it's just not this game that uh, the beauty that we love of this game. It, uh, I think some of the skills of players can't really quite come out. And- yeah, but the flip side of it is the U.S. men's national team purposely schedules qualifiers in bone-chilling places. <laughs> the, yeah, and their Frank competition. So that's that's the flip side of the whole thing. Well, Frank mm-hmm. mentioned that too. And then yeah. with, with Mexico, we got to figure out how to, um, you know, I don't know. And I think it also cuts down on goal scoring too. I think these games they're more. Uh, just sort of defensive matchups, which aren't always the best. So yeah. speaking of which, goal scoring down in the EPL. Did you guys notice this? Have yeah. you felt what, that? What a wonderful segue. Yeah, you know, our guest last week, Paul Carr, inspired me, you know, with all the data and stuff. I just happened yeah. to, upon the story. So yeah, only 11 players have scored five or more goals 13 matches into the season. And just by comparison, if you look at the last wow. three years or even the last two years, he had 21 players and, and 17 players scoring five goals or better. Most Salah would be the outlier. 
because after yesterday, he's now up to 13 and Liverpool has three of the players that have more than five goals. But I think what it speaks to is more balanced scoring. I mean, if you look at Man City, they get scoring from everywhere. They don't, you know, Jesus scores, Silva scores, but then the guys at the back score as well. So I, I'm not saying it's a, a it's a total shift, but clearly uh, most teams other than like a Liverpool are not relying on their top number nine to deliver all the goals. Well, Man City doesn't really have a number nine and they still no. win. And then if you talk, you know, I mean, some of these other teams, good players on average or below average teams, it's just tougher to score. I mean, Liverpool yeah. seems like it's, man, who's going to grab the couple of goals today? Uh, it, it's it's a lot different, but um, yeah. I don't know. I, I hadn't noticed it, Grail. To, to brought yeah, I, I mean, I kind of noticed that Vardy and Sala and a couple other guys were having good years, but it just doesn't feel like they're just not as many. The goals are still being scored. They're just being scored by a more diverse group of, of players. Hey, so we talked about Lewandowski and uh, maybe perhaps the lack of respect that the German league doesn't get. Maybe that's why Lewandowski didn't uh, win the Ballon d'Or. Um, but another German coach comes into the EPL, takes over Manchester United, Ralph uh, Rangnick. Yeah. Um, yeah, who was I've been reading up on him because I didn't know a lot about him, but he's he's been a real mentor to Klopp and uh, and uh, Tuchel. Tuchel. Yeah, Thomas Tuchel. And then Klopp's been so effusive in his praise and, and actually worried. He was kind of like, oh, God, now Man United is okay. yeah, gonna... I'll paraphrase, got a real coach. But it'll be interesting because he's only coaching through the end of the year. He's got a two year consultancy with the club afterwards. Um, I think he plays a high press. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what he is able to instill in them between now and the end of the season. But yeah, three of the top clubs now of Germans, you know, Sam, back in the day, I think the Italian managers were the most highly sought after, not that the Contes and stuff still aren't, but it feels like Germany is really having this kind of surge in terms of uh, coaching. Yeah. I mean, I think Renick is known as the sort of the godfather of the Gagan yeah. press, right? I mean, he loves mm -hmm. the high press and I, yeah, I don't think it's any secret that the Bundesliga is kind of producing the most innovative tactical sort of changes and uh, progressions right now. Um, I will say, as you pointed out, though, he's only a caretaker manager yeah. um, for now. And uh, I think Mancini is actually the top choice for Man United going forward. So, Interesting. Uh, you know, not Pochettino, we'll huh? Well, you know, I've been following it in the Italian media yeah. where they're, um, you know, on it quite a bit. But we'll see. Okay. You know, it's funny. I always talked about, you know, at that level, it becomes more of um, player management, not so much. I don't think a single player changes things that much. Even you look at a, you know, even a Messi with Argentina, it's like a single player can't do that much at that level. When you have those horses and the amount of the great players on the field and on the bench for Manchester United, it's more, you're more of a psychiatrist than anything else and how mm -hmm. you motivate. And it seems to me that the Italian coaches sort of get players going through passion. Like they're very passionate about stuff and the Germans, maybe I'm just overgeneralizing, but the German coaches seem to come in and, and sort of put order in right away. Yes. It, took, it took Klopp a couple of years though, to, to do it. That's why I said for, you know, like you said, Sam, one year, that's a tough task to come mm -hmm. in and like, you know, get everybody to play the same system, um, you know, in one year and then, then you're out and you're. Well, consulting. don't you remember too, when the Germans won the world cup in Brazil, it was all about kind of the German system like how everything was set up over there for success. Right. And um, yeah, I just think they bring a lot of order to the equation and, and just, you know, discipline and they know what they want to do. All right. So we got uh, the BBC is taking some heat uh, in the, I think it's, I guess it's the, uh, the EPL, but 
for accepting advertising from Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. This sounds like uh, right up your alley. Yeah, well, so an ad appeared. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, they're not running ads in the UK because uh, that's forbidden. But on the uh, BBC website uh, internationally, they're running Saudi Arabia is running ads touting their human futures campaign. Which, by the way, is this like feel good campaign, which seems so at odds with what Saudi Arabia is about from a, you know, a a human uh, interest uh, standpoint. But anyway, yeah, the uh, understandably, the journalists at the BBC are up in arms saying, look, we're writing constantly about how against we were Saudi Arabia taking over Newcastle United. And now we're accepting ads from the uh, the public investment fund. So, right. And, they, you know, and and they're journalists and they know full well that uh, he took a, a, you know, a buzzsaw to a journalist and killed him. I referenced it to Frank. He didn't say anything, but it's sort of like, do we forget that right away? I mean, it's, I it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's a no, no, we shouldn't forget yeah. it. And and then, you know, we did also talk to Frank about, you know, Qatar, the, the deaths and the construction, these these villages that have been built and horrible working conditions and stuff. Look, if soccer, this world's game that's supposed to bring us all together and move things along, look what the women did for women around the world. I mean, soccer is, you know, unfortunately, FIFA is not above and beyond reproach. So it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a bummer. And they, they don't make these moral decisions sometimes. So I don't know, it's just, it's just annoying because we know this game we love can actually uh, uh, change the world, you know? I, I really believe that. And, and so when we squander opportunities like this, it just pisses me off. Um, speaking of FIFA and pissing me off, uh, <laughs> they're testing new technology at the Arab Cup, guys. What do you, what do you think well, about this? I, I limb, love it. Limb yeah. tracking, yeah. Well, yeah. No, no, speaking of uh, Khashoggi in Saudi Arabia, when I hear the word limb, it makes me a little bit concerned. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, there's a hand, there's an yeah. arm. <laughs> yeah, limb tracking technology. It's camera based. And the whole idea is let's speed up the decisions within seconds on offside. Right. So they're testing it at the Arab Cup, which is going on right now. This is the this is the little catch, though. They've got six stadiums that are equipped with 10 to 12, 10 to 12 cameras each that are hanging from the roof of the venue. So you need to have the investment in that technology to make it work. And the key is that VAR will it's called semi-automated because the VAR will still uh have to be the validation and the confirmation of the decision that's made. But I think it, at least if, if people can afford it, it also cuts back on those premature fan player celebrations where goals are then nullified after the fact. So anyway, any way we can get this better, I'm all for. I just, I'm a little concerned about the expense when, they, when FIFA won't even pay for VAR for World Cup qualifying. Right. Yeah. Sam, I, what, are, what are your thoughts? I, I'm not that into this idea. Um, I, I'm more into a much different approach, which is in the lower levels in Italian soccer. They are going back to the old rule, which is basically if the linesman, you know, sees daylight between the two players, he raises his flag or she raises her flag. Right. We're not we're not doing shoulders and elbows, which I think is a much saner uh, more sustainable approach and would mean there's just a lot less wrong decisions to begin with. He yeah. or she raises the flag. I love well, that. Well, Sam, it's, it's culture. All, yeah, I mean, Sam, it's also like the idea of going back to intentional versus accidental handball, which was the way it always was back in the day, and it actually seemed to work quite well. Mm-hmm. And now there's actually more debate over it, and there's more technology. So, yeah, remember the whole the adage evens off. Remember that evens yes. off. We're like so, and uh, that's that's not true, right? Even right. is not off anymore, and that's how we played. 
uh, back in the day. Hey, so uh, Grail, I know you're a big Beatles fan. Did you watch uh, the Get yeah. Back? Well, so, so all eight uh, hours. Yeah. So Luke, uh, my son, Luke and I, who's he's a huge music fan. We uh, buckled down starting Thanksgiving night. It was on Disney Plus and uh, watched three consecutive nights, eight hours. I mean, I'm a Beatles nut, so I'm probably not an objective person here, but I, it was just fantastic. But out of it came many conversations with friends who also happened to be soccer players. And we got into this little thing about if you were, if the Beatles were on a soccer team, where would they play? So I want to posit, I want to put out my uh, opinion on this. And then I thought, you know, and obviously ask you guys, but also maybe ask our listeners where they would have each Beatle playing. So this is mine just to put, put it out there. So I have Ringo in goal because Ringo was always the, basically the foundation of the Beatles. Yeah, when the back everything beat, yeah. else was going crazy around the Beatles. Ringo was the steadying force at the back. I got George at left back because he was, uh, because he's, uh, you know, the way the left back plays now, he ranges up. He never really got his due, but he was a very creative player who could impact a game from that position. Like an Alexander got, Arnold. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've got Maka in central midfield just because he was, he's the creator. He's the distributor. He was kind of the, the nucleus of the Beatles. And then John up top, who was the, you know, the temperamental striker who didn't train very often, but showed moments of brilliance throughout the game and could score the amazing goal on, on occasion. So that's, that's, those are my four positions for those, for, uh, for the Beatles. Just curious what you guys think. Sam had, have you ever heard of the Beatles, Sam? <laughs> I, those all sound good to me. This sounds like, uh, you know, a problem that Ted Lasso would pose. So I'll leave it, <laughs> I'll leave it to him to, to answer that one. Okay. Well, so Sam, I'll tell you real. To Ted Lasso. I tell you, uh, Grail, I would agree with most of that. I think the only one I wouldn't uh, quite know what to do with is maybe George Harrison because he seems to be a steady Eddie. I think maybe a center back. Uh, I don't think he's fleet enough of foot or of thought to go on the outside. But uh, I think Ringo, definitely the definitely the keeper because uh, he's you know in the back there holding it all together, just watching everything, observing. Um, yeah, definitely McCartney, center midfielder. And yeah, your number nine is uh, Lennon. He's got that edge, sort of and, a, and a Lennon loner. Smoking, Lennon smoking at halftime, probably. <laughs> well, that's the old Italian guys I used to play with. You know, They would have the wife beater t-shirts underneath their, their shirts. And so we would love to have our listeners uh, post on Twitter and give us their thoughts. That would be great. Yeah, we'll put that question out uh, yeah. and uh, and get your uh, get your thoughts to our one listener. That, I don't know where he is. <laughs> I don't know where he is after Thanksgiving vacation. But uh, all right, what else we got? Sam, a uh, quiz or? Yeah, I do have a mini quiz. I'm bringing it back right. despite its banishment. Um, so <laughs> hey, who, who banished it? Not us. The So as I mentioned earlier, Messi won his record seventh um, Ballon d'Or. Um, second to him is uh, Cristiano Ronaldo with five. And behind them both, there are three players who have won the award three times. And I'm wondering if you guys can name any of them. Well, I know this. So should I just let Flinny sweat and struggle for a few seconds? I think I got, I think I have maybe one or two, but I don't okay. know, three. I think, well, first of all, when did it start in the fifties, right? Like 53 or something? The, the Ballon d'Or? I don't know. We don't know. Frank said actually. Yes, it, yes it's, it's, it's old. The two I know are, um, I think it's Cruyff. Cruyff. Yes. And, and Frank mentioned him. He met him at a train station, Platini. I would say those two. Okay. Those are but correct. I, those are correct. The third one is the is the trickier one, but it makes sense once you know it. Um, give me the country. <laughs> I'll give you a, a Holland. 
or should I say the Netherlands, but it was, I think it was Holland when he was playing. Oh, wow. Um, and it's a two word. I was going to say Van, it's, Van, Van Basten, but he's yes. Belgian. He's Belgian though, isn't he? Oh, he is. No. Oh, did I get the wrong? No. I thought he was he's Dutch. Not, he's not Belgian. He's, no, Dutch. he's Dutch. Is he Dutch? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, Sam. dude. Me nervous. I got it. See, I like. Well, that. I mean, you got it with a little bit of help. It'll help, but shit. <laughs> I mean, I we like, zeroed in on the country. For I got. I thought Van Basten was uh, was Belgian, but that's yeah. Today's modern. That's a pretty impressive list, but when you think that oh Messi's my god, at, yeah, Messi, Messi's at seven. It's it's left everybody in the dust. Well, one thing that surprised me, I did see. I know that Zidane only won it once, which surprised me. Um, yeah, he pretty team's pretty dominant there for a while. Yeah, it'll be interesting now. Like, who do you guys think would be the most likely to even get to, like, of contemporary players to get to three? I Fuck mean, it. Kind of, well, Lewandowski's probably like, what well, the hell do I have to do? Exactly. He should be at two. But uh, I'm just wondering, who do you guys think of contemporary players could even get to three? It's got to get guys that have longevity. I, I think it's mean, longevity and also guys that play on national teams that are going to win trophies. So I think Mbappe right. has a, Mbappe has a, a good chance. Yeah. Um, I don't know though, man. Jeez, you know, how old is Mbappe now? He's young, twenty-three. Four, yeah. All right, so maybe. Yeah. I, but you yeah. know, it's so funny. Um, thinking of players, who was I thinking of? Um, Alexi Sanchez. Where's he now? Is he like in China or something? No, he plays for Inter. Yeah. Oh, he's playing for Inter. How's he doing? Uh, yeah. He's okay. He's used mainly as a as a sub. Because so, um, you think about a player that was so hot with Arsenal for a while, and then just yeah. boom, a year or two later, and it's off the charts. Well, Aguero too, who I, I don't think is going to play again because of his heart condition. Oh, yes, that's right. I think Aguero's finished, but uh, yeah, back in the day he was. But again, it, you know, during the Messi Ronaldo era, it's kind of like Federer and Nadal, right? I mean, there was nobody else, and get and Djokovic. I mean, there's nobody else who could get in the mix. All right. So, guys, uh, what are we watching this weekend? Anything? What's well, Man United's Arsenal today. So I'm just curious to see what Rangnick, what he does in his opening thing. And then I'm going to watch uh, MM, the MLS semis this weekend. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Players play well when that new coach comes in because it's like a fresh start. And yeah. uh, it usually peters out after two, three games. But we'll see what happens. Uh, that's you know, they always bring in Sam Allardyce, you know, this time of the year to just. You're so you know, delighted that Sam did not get the call oh, to God, Old Trafford. That, that would have been so uninspiring. Well, I still get pissed that, you know, uh, Bradley was just cut so quickly. And yet Sam Allardyce every year gets a new, you know, team to try and bring up and keep out of relegation. So, uh, yeah. all right, guys. Uh, anything else before we get going here? No. All right. I got to put my producer hat on. I got a great comedy show this weekend. So it, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, all right, everybody, that's all the time we have today on Over the Ball. For Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn. We'd like to thank our guest, Frank DeLapa from the Boston Globe. Uh, man, he's been, um, been, I don't know, just covering this game when no one would cover it. It's just great to see the game grow here, and uh, it's great to get caught up with Frank. All right, everybody, that's it. We'll talk to you next time on OTB. 